0: We've begun this journey through Ecclesiastes with our teacher, Kohelet. If you weren't with us last week, that's okay. It's only the second week of this series. Kohelet is the Hebrew word that uh, gives the name to this book, Ecclesiastes. In lots of languages, this book is called Kohelet, and it means teacher or preacher or one who assembles. And so our teacher, Colette, is offering to us the wisdom that he has learned as he has sought to understand our lives. There's so little that makes sense in our world, or at least in our experience of the world. And even for those of us who are following Jesus, who believe that God is at work in this world and in our lives, there are still so many lingering questions about why God seems to act in this instance and not act in another. Why do only some know healing, though all pray for it? Why are some lives filled with joy and others bitter with sorrow? Why did I feel God close to me in that season of my life? And why does God feel so very far away now? These ways of God make little sense to us. Perhaps they're just beyond our comprehension, and we're calling them for this series, The Foolishness of God. Remembering the Apostle Paul telling us that the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And so trusting that that is true, trusting that we can trust this foolishness, this wisdom of our God, we're turning to our teacher, Colette, so that in seeking, we might find. And searching, we might glimpse some better understanding of God still active, still working, still saving presence in our lives and in our world. Last week, we talked about meaninglessness. Now everything is meaningless without Jesus. But with Jesus, nothing that we do is ever in vain. And now this week, we have heard from Ecclesiastes 3, almost certainly one of the most famous passages in this book. If we'd polled you, I suspect that meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless, would have been one of the most memorable passages. It's such a strong opener for a book. And this one would have been right next to it. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. The place we know these verses from best is probably from funerals, where it's a commonly suggested reading, a time to be born, and a time to die. These are comforting words, I suppose, reminding us of the natural order of things. And the idea that it was our loved one's time to die may offer us some solace in those raw moments, perhaps still offers us solace today. And then there's this sort of folk wisdom in this litany of pairs that we're drawn into by the teacher. He sort of traps us with two easy pairs that we all have to agree to. All people are born and all people die. We have to agree to that point. That's our our experience of the world. And secondly, something that for most of human history, all people were intimately aware of, acquainted with the agricultural rhythms, affirming that planting and harvesting are distinct times and rhythms that we have no control over at all. We have to agree to these things. He gets us feeling positively towards his wisdom. And then as the litany unfolds, we might realize that we're frequently asking, well, why? If we accept birth and death are given, that sowing and harvesting are both normal, we may not be as quick to accept all the other terms, killing and healing. Why must there be a season to kill Why must there be times to break down or to weep, to mourn or to scatter stones, to give up searching or to throw away, to hate or to make war? These things surely do not need to be a part of the Christian life or the human life for that matter. And so we resist them. Yes, we resist them. We seize things which have been broken for generations and we try to continue to build on those cracked foundations when we would be far better off to just tear it down and to begin again. We have full cause of weeping, but we linger in laughter beyond its season for fear of our own tears. We dance, distracting ourselves from our despair, and on and on it goes. Everything has its time and its season, but not if we can help it. And if we can resist these things, if we can push against them, if we can resist these things that put such a sour taste in our mouths, we might wonder, well, why can't we just outright control them? For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die. But we have contraceptives and physician-assisted suicide. A time to plant and a time to uproot, but we have a free market economy and the promise of endless growth. A time to keep and a time to throw away, but we have storage lockers for anything that doesn't fit in our lives any longer. We have calendars and schedules and appointments. We have time and clocks and lights of our own that we need not be governed by the sun or the moon any longer. God has made everything to be beautiful in its season, and we have taken control of the seasons themselves. We have sought to wrestle to control these times and seasons, putting God aside. And we perhaps have even convinced ourselves that we have found some success. What use is God to us any longer? What use is a God who gives season to weeping and to mourning, to losing and throwing away, to tearing and breaking down? What use is a God like that when we can write the seasons of our lives for ourselves and avoid such unnecessary things? There's this theological idea called the God of the gaps, which sort of says that we take our view of the world, and anything that we don't understand how it works or why it happens, we say, well, God does that. That because we don't know how it works, God must do that. Except you see the problem with this already. Thousands of years ago, how rain fell upon the earth was beyond our understanding. And so God did that. But now we know about evaporation and condensation and how these things lead to precipitation, and we call it the water cycle. So I suppose God doesn't do that anymore. And as we learn as a, and as we understand more and more about our world, as we even affect and control the earth and our lives in increasing measure, God's role gets smaller and smaller. We close the gaps and we make God smaller. But of course, the fact that we understand the water cycle does not mean that God does not send rain upon the earth. And the fact that we try to control birth and death, harvest and politics, our lives and our neighbors, does not mean that God has not made all things suitable in their time. And in fact, so much of our illusions of control are misguided. Try as we might to control birth. Some pregnancies are still very much surprises. And some who today eagerly long for a child still wait and still cry out. Try as we might to control death. Some who are of advanced years sit alone in nursing homes wondering why God yet sustains their lives. And some who are healthy and youthful Suddenly, lose their lives quite unexpectedly. For all of our greenhouses and fertilizers and irrigation, crops still fail. For all of our engineering and superior architectural techniques, rust still destroys. For all of our plans and calendars, pandemics, just turn them over. For all that placates us and distracts us and distances us from our world, we still have cause to weep and to mourn. This is the work of God, reminding us again and again that no matter how hard we try, we cannot be in control. That no matter how much we know and we understand that there are still things which are beyond us, this is the work of God, and the teacher is not happy about it. And I think we can relate. We have all been unhappy with God's timing before. That we should have to wait when another has not. That our prayers go unanswered when another's is answered. That our season is so difficult when it need not be. Or that our lives continue to turn from sorrow to joy to sorrow again. Worse than this, it's not just that we have to endure this apparently fickle season of God's appointment. The teacher says, God has set eternity on the human heart. And this, this is what is most upsetting of all to him. God has set eternity on our hearts, and yet our our experience of the world is of mortality. We all yearn for something greater than what we now know. And isn't that cruel? Isn't it outrageous that God would make us desire something that is out of our reach? That we, should come, that we should know death comes for us even when we long for life. That we should suffer sorrow even though we seek out joy. That we should dream of embrace and know the cold shoulder of rejection. If only, the teacher says, "If only we could accept what is, if only we could be happy with all that we have got, if only we could find satisfaction in what the day brings. But God set eternity on our hearts, and now we are wandering people, seeking something we do not see, but will know when we find. We seek a new creation, a better country. A city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. The teacher, in his despair, resolves that God has done this cruel thing to us. God has made us unable to accept what is and to long for that which we will never know so that we will see that we're all just like the animals. That's what he resolves, that we must be just like animals we're born like animals we'll die like animals we're all dust returning to dust maybe you're there maybe you've been there convinced yourself of this and maybe you're there right now today convinced that if God is real at all that God has done this cruel work in the world that you that we really are no different than animals to God And God is just trying to put us in our place with all these difficult seasons. Trying to teach us a hard lesson. But there's another teacher. There's another teacher whose words we must turn to who is the very source of the wisdom that this teacher seeks. And this wiser teacher says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Coelet, our teacher, in his despair, resolves that we are no more than animals to God. And there is a truth in this. We are all created beings, and we are all dependent on the will of God rather than in control for ourselves. But the word of God by whom all things were made speaks the still truer word to Coelet, to you, to me. You are worth more than many sparrows. God has not put eternity in our hearts so that we would know our place with the animals, learn that we do not deserve the things that we long for. Rather, God has put eternity in our hearts so that we would know our place is in that eternal kingdom. That our hearts would draw us to long for that which we do not see. That in knowing sorrow, we might yearn for joy, the joy which only God provides. That in searching and giving up, we might trust the one who does not stop seeking out the one lost coin the one lost sheep. And then in facing death, we might come to rest in the one who has for our sakes overcome the grave. Colette is right. There is a time for everything and a season for every matter under the heavens. We experience all of these things, good and bad, troubling and consoling, and we know it all so that we might fear God. That in seeking after the better things, trying to secure them for ourselves, failing to control our own lives single-handedly, and realizing our dependence on God in every season under heaven, we might choose to turn to God to be helped in time of distress. That in these seasons we might recognize it is only by God's hand that we have any hope of knowing the world which we were made for. And that in fearing God, we would discover the eternal longings of our hearts will be satisfied at last in him. No matter the season of your life right now, whether it is illness, loss, loneliness, or despair, God desires that you would know that by the work of Christ, these things which still have their season are already passing away. Christ Jesus, who was a man of sorrows and acquainted with suffering, who was rejected by men, who died though he himself is life, whose clothes were torn and whose friends were scattered, he knew all these seasons so that he might end them for our sakes and show us the kingdom which has been placed on the human heart since creation itself, where the one who seeks finds where the one who weeps is comforted and where the peace and flourishing life of God reconciles even enemies that we might truly be friends. Yes, the time of death, sorrow, and pain is coming to an end even now. And the better life you long for, the better world that we dream of, has already been won for us by Christ who died and was raised so that we would have no cause to be afraid. In his care, we know the only season which we will find will be marked by faith, hope, and love. When this will be fully realized, only God knows. But truly, it is coming soon. And on that day, even those of us who share that fear of Colette, who worry that to God we are nothing more than animals, will hear his voice say to us, Do not be afraid. Truly you are worth more than many sparrows. See here I have prepared a place for you. Come and know the endless season of my grace, love, and peace. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Creating God, you have made everything beautiful in its season. There is a season for everything and a time for every activity under the sun. And yet we resist your seasons. We push against your work in our lives and in the world. We long for sorrow so much that we cannot appreciate its goodness to us now that we cannot see how you meet us even in sorrow and suffering. How you've placed that longing for joy deep in our hearts because it is your promise to all of your children. Help us, we pray, to acknowledge that we are not in control. To name that you are God and we are not to trust in your changing times and seasons through this life until that day when there will only be that lovely season of grace and love and peace. We long for that. Assure us of your promise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to invite you to a time of reflection. And the first question I have is how are you trying to control that which is God's to control? We're all doing it. How are you doing it? And secondly, reflect on that good news that God has placed eternity in your heart. What better things are you longing for today? Pray that God will quickly bring his kingdom.